Thank you for listening to the Health and Wellness Connection podcast and radio show. For more information on ways to get healthy, please check us out. www.anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. Here you can re-listen to the show, check out older shows, and even further support the show by becoming a subscriber to the podcast. Please check us out today. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. And also, don't forget to follow Dr. Barry on Instagram at drbarrymd. Until next time, stay healthy. Well, guys, welcome back to the Health and Wellness Connection. It's your host, Dr. Barry here. I want to thank you again for joining us for another episode. Yes, <clears throat> we have a little bit of a hiatus we took, guys, for the summer. We're back in the fall. Um, I want to thank everybody for still streaming the show. We just had a lot of uh, love shown uh, about the show and kind of the topics and everything. And, uh, you know, and we're back. So I just want to let you guys know, um, definitely stay tuned as we uh, bring you some new content. Uh, got a lot of cool studies that we got to share. And there's all, all a lot of cool info as well, you know. But just to recap, though, small, by the way, again, this is the Health of Ones Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Barry. In case it's your first time listening, um, I'm a board-certified emergency medicine physician as well as a weight loss and wellness physician. And uh, this show is kind of like a, a, a way to help kind of get some good info out there. We uh, basically look at current, recent research regarding health and wellness, bring it to you straight from the source, and try to kind of give an unbiased opinion as far as what we think and how we could potentially affect health and wellness and care of healthcare going forward. And uh, we try to make it simple so that anyone can understand it. It's definitely designed for just uh, anyone um, uh, to, to, to listen and learn. So if you have any questions, guys, you can definitely reach out to me, the host, Dr. Barry. Um, email is drbarryhealth at gmail.com. And um, you can also um, hit me on the socials, uh, Instagram, drbarrymd, as well as TikTok, drbarryhealth. So, um, yes, thanks for uh, listening, guys. And also, please, for the TikTok, we do uh, try to put content on there. We have a lot of interesting vids and shorts and clips we're going to put on the TikToks. Um, so definitely check that out, guys, if you want a different kind of visual and accompaniment to the uh, audio portion. And, of course, um, you know, we got a lot more stores well on that end. So just stay tuned. So anyways, guys, let's talk about some of the latest kind of news here in this uh, period. Again, um, we are in the fall season, 2023. And... Um, What's been in the news lately? Actually, it's been a, quite a few stories. First one that came to mind was the one regarding Ozempic. I'm sure you guys know about these um, new weight loss medication that's really just kind of taking over um, the weight loss industry by storm. People are losing um, lots of weight using these medications. And so as a result, there's been a lot of kind of drama that's been building on the underlying kind of, um, kind of economy of the entire um, industry as well. We'll talk about that, how that's affecting it. In general, so basically, Ozempic is again, again known as um, GLP-1 drugs, right? These are um, drugs that have been found to actually um, mimic a hormone known as glucagon in the body, which actually is figured to help promote uh, fat breakdown as well as promote increased metabolism, promote um, decreased hunger, and a lot of things that are you know consistent and helpful for weight loss. Um, and we've talked about these drugs in previous shows, guys. And also, regarding the previous shows, um, people hit me all the time regarding questions like, you know, constipation and water and general health questions. And I implore you guys, please go and check out the archive. We have some great shows here. Been doing this show for years now. A lot of great content. A lot of the stuff is still applicable because it's all about research and truth. And we kind of bring it to you from the, 
from the faucet. So the stuff is still actually very ap apropos, if you will. So go back to the archives, guys. The archives can be found on our Anchor page. Um, that's www.anchor.fm backslash HWC Connection. And also just type in Health and Wellness Connection on any streaming service, be it Apple Music, Spotify. You can subscribe on any of those platforms. You can get the show dropped to your device every week going forward. <laughs> or whenever we put a new show up, you'll get it immediately dropped because those are the first people to get the show. We also do have a Facebook, uh, a, sorry, a YouTube page. If you type in Dr. Bear Health on YouTube, we have a page that we're also working on getting that up to snuff. But definitely the audio um, subscription is going to be the most current way to let this to the show. TikTok is also going to be pretty well regularly updated as well. So follow us on both of those. But either way, um, the fact of the matter is Ozimbic has been really, really big. And so these GLP-1 drugs, um, they really have just taken over the industry. People have really kind of lost a lot of weight. A lot of traditional companies have really suffered as a result. Um, Jenny Craig actually recently um, filed for bankruptcy, and that was one of the, the longest-running weight loss companies in the United States. And it's basically doing a, a, a huge number on the industry. Now, one thing that came out of the recent research that people weren't expecting was that Ozimbic is actually being studied because there's been some research showing that um, these drugs like Ozimbic and other GLP-1 GLP drugs may be helpful in reducing renal failure. And, and the way this happens is because uh, these drugs apparently are effective in increasing blood flow to the kidneys. And as a result, people who've had str str struggles with getting, you know, the kidney function tests back to normal. Uh, people who don't know, kidney disease is one of the biggest uh, uh, killers uh, in America. Um, dialysis is one of the biggest issues in the healthcare. People lose their kidneys due to usually uncontrolled blood pressure, um, obesity, um, other ailments and so obesity especially which i tell you guys is an epidemic is really just doing a number on the population here but obesity has been linked heavily with um, renal failure and the need for dialysis so this is another reason why these weight loss drugs have been so uh, revolutionary because people are now losing weight and able to keep it off as a result there's been decreased levels of kidney failure because usually as people are obese and have high blood pressure and other unhealthy attributes, it takes toll on their kidneys, eventually their kidneys fail, requiring dialysis. So some of these studies that have been recently um, released are talking about how these drugs are helping uh, reduce kidney failure in people who are at risk for kidney failure, especially when they lose weight and, and, and the like. So, um, and just to go in a little bit of detail, the study that in, in question out of uh, Colorado-based, um, sorry, came out of the company Novo Nordisk, which is a company that manufactures Ozimbic. Yes, so we're back. Sorry, we had a little glitch there. Back at it. So anyways, the actual manufacturer of the drug of Ozimbic, Novo Nordisk, they actually are conducting trials to actually look at the, how these drugs potentially could help with um, blood flow to the kidneys and helping reducing their need for dialysis. So um, apparently they were doing this drug on their uh, population, <clears throat> but during the actual research, they actually had to halt the actual um, study because people who were on um, Ozimbic were actually having such revolutionary improvements in their blood flow to the kidneys and they were like just having markedly better um, kidney function tests. It was just almost like they felt it was almost hurting those who were not on Ozimbic. Because again, these are all patients who had renal failure or had risk of renal failure. And they were looking at the effect of Ozimbic on the kidney function of these patients. 
This is an internal study that was conducted by Novo Nordisk. I think they were applying um, to have this as an official recommendation for the drug because, you know, they need more reasons to um, have it be prescribed. Currently, um, it's only recommended for diabetes management, helping reduce blood sugar. Um, but now, of course, with the weight loss uh, angle and now this blood flow angle to the kidneys, they're trying to maximize the, you know, utility of this medication. So that being said, the reason why this is important because, number one, it shows that, well, let me finish the study story. So as a result of this new development in this, uh, you know, Novo Nordisk Ozempic study, stocks for dialysis companies are crashing. So it's, it's really, outra- it's not outrageous, it just shows, you know, how this economy works. You know, there's a people making a lot of money off the unhealthiness of Americans and, and people in general. Like people are making money off the obesity epidemic. That's why these restaurants are, you know, you know, thriving. People are selling unhealthy foods and making a fortune. Um, you have a lot of, you know, these weight, these health industries like dialysis clinics are popping everywhere like McDonald's because people's kidneys are failing left and right. And then before you know this now, dialysis becomes like a big business. So it just shows, you know, you know, what's being, you know, what's succeeding a lot of industries that are very harmful, especially from a health and wellness perspective. Now, that being said, you know, obviously, if you like food, eat it. If you like to do things that are harmful, you know, don't, you don't have to live like a, a nun, but just be mindful that there's people making money off your unhealthiness. So if you think it's something that's harmless, it really isn't. So that being said, um, this uh, drug and this Ozempic kind of revelation is really showing that, you know, these weight loss drugs can be very effective for things that weren't even anticipated. So... Um, so, yeah, so that being said, so as a result of this high demand, there's now been a rise of fake versions of this Ozempic on the market. Um, you know, one thing that's been a big issue with Ozempic is that people feel that it's definitely a drug or a, or a treatment for the rich, especially if you use it for non-covered um, indications like weight loss. Um, the drug itself can be $1,000 per syringe, which lasts typically about a month. So it's very expensive for those who don't have those kind of funds. Um, and given the fact that, as you can tell, people are making money off of the unhealthiness of America, including the obesity epidemic. People are making a lot of money off that. So there's a lot of interest in keeping people the way they are. And uh, as a result, you know, it's been kind of a struggle for those looking to use Ozempic if they don't have a lot of money. And as a result, there's been a lot of kind of illicit channels of Ozempic that's been popping up. Uh, fake variants are coming up on the market as well all over Europe and in America, people are using kind of similar packaging and products to sell a fake version of the product, and they may sell it cheaper, you know, getting people who are maybe a little bit discouraged due to the high price of the official legal pharmacies, and they then try to find these, you know, local pharmacies that are, or not local, not necessarily pharmacies, these are street drugs or internet-based pharmacies, typically, where they buy these discounted Ozempic products, and they tend to be fake. So you got to be very careful, guys. Um, you know, I think the best option definitely is to just kind of find a way to either Get a cover via your insurance if you do have it. A lot of times you can work with your clinician to work out a, 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 a plan. Um, maybe it's some sort of a, a way to get them to approve it. Or, you know, just, you know, save your money and just purchase it. Because at the end of the day, um, something that's very effective, you know, it may actually be worth it if you're motivated to lose weight. A lot of these um, programs that are out here... Um, you know, they charge <laughs> thousands and uh, they don't work. <laughs> and so the weight loss industry is a billion dollar industry, yet obesity is surging every year. So at the end of the day, money is being spent in an effort to lose weight. I think if you spend it on a surefire, very effective way, that's still not foolproof, by the way. You still have to work out. You still have to eat right. But typically, you know, if you do those things, you know, your body will adjust very rapidly. And that's one thing that is being shown with this medication. And um, 
So as a result, <clears throat> so as a result of the <clears throat> popularity and the success was in making a lot of fake variants on the market. Also, you have a lot of compounding pharmacies also too being pursued by um, some of the manufacturers. And that's just kind of a gray area. I think a pharmacist should be able to make it if they have the knowledge and can guarantee the effectiveness of the drug and the authenticity of the medication. But of course that gives it to the whole, you know, copyright and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, I think if you're someone who's, you know, interested in losing weight, I think if you know a clinic that's affiliated with a good compounding pharmacy that can get you, um, a, you know, actual, you know, true um, quality variants that may be more affordable, I think it's a win. So I definitely encourage you guys to definitely look at a clinic or weight loss uh, provider to help you kind of navigate this this whole area if you're interested. Um, again, definitely reach out to us here at the Health and Wellness Connection. We do have some clinics that we actually are affiliated with that we can definitely um, put you in contact with. So that being said, um, yeah, Zipping is definitely doing a lot to kind of affect the landscape regarding the weight loss industry. We'll be following it, obviously, and to making sure we give you any new information that we find. Alrighty, so let's talk about everyone's other favorite topic, <laughs> and that's COVID. So, no, but COVID actually is definitely still in the news. Definitely not, you know, the, the monster that it was back in the day. Um, you know, the deaths have been markedly reduced due to all the innovations that have come out, including the vaccinations and the and the oral antiviral medications like Paxlovid. Um, but again, Paxlovid is actually why we're bringing the COVID up again because it's back in the news. And for some things that have come out recently about Paxlovid. For those who they don't remember, Paxlovid is the antiviral that was developed um, um, as a result of the COVID epidemic. It was found to be a very, very effective pill you could take after an infection, and it can help reduce your symptoms, similar to Tamiflu, which is used for influenza. So if you do have a COVID exposure or you do test positive COVID, and it's the first three days of the infection, you can take a Paxlovid um, regimen, and uh, it will definitely help reduce um, some of your symptoms. It's also been shown to help reduce the risk of death in high-risk patients. So this is why people who have been, you know, who are very prone to potential complications from COVID, be it they have chronic illnesses or a weakened immune system and they get an infection, for them, COVID can be very dangerous. So things like Paxlovid and the vaccinations have been very effective in helping reduce the risk of death for those who have, you know, in a weakened immune system or it could be increasingly, you know, susceptible or affected by COVID if they were to get it. So that being said, Paxlovid has been, you know, celebrated in the, in the medical field. But, you know, one thing that's come out lately is that the newer variants of the COVID virus are not effective or Paxlovid is not effective against treating these new variants. Now, some of the more recent variants have come out in the past few months. It's been shown that Paxlovid has been less effective in helping reduce the risk of death as well as the risk of other complications from COVID in these newer infections. So unfortunately, you know, the virus is, is evolving and getting stronger, even though, you know, it's still very effective. You know, we definitely don't have the level of deaths we had during the height of the epidemic. Uh, it's shown that Paxlovid may not be as good as it was when it came out. So who knows if they're going to upgrade the, uh, the formula to make it more effective. But the funny thing is that <laughs> as this news came out, um, shortly thereafter, Pfizer says, you know what, we're going to have to do something to make sure we, I guess, maximize profits because they have now doubled the price of Paxlovid. <laughs> so, you know, they're like, listen, it may be less effective. And again, that, of course, article about it being less effective, you'll never hear anyone say that. So that's, again, thankfully, you listed Health and Wellness Connection. We bring you all the news. We don't we don't keep up, keep out the um, um, anything. But, you know, because Paxlovid now is less effective, Pax, what, what do you think will be the appropriate response? 
cheaper drugs, right? Not quite. It's actually being doubled. So the price of Paxlovid has now doubled what it was, um, what it was last year. It's like, no, sorry, 2.6 times the price, so almost three times. So um, it used to be $530 per course, and the course is five days. Now it's $1,390. So um, yeah, it's just definitely disheartening. Um, you know, you went from 500 bucks was still a lot. And if you're a high-risk patient, it may be good to take it if you do get a positive COVID infection. Um, but now that price is going to be tripled. So it's just really unfortunate. Um, you know, the insurance, of course, is expected to pay for it. Um, hopefully, if you have a decent insurance. But at the end of the day, this is going to be bad for the patient, in my opinion, because drugs are already very expensive. And a lot of patients have struggled paying, you know, their different premiums. Also, this will raise premiums over time. And it's just not good. So... You know, at the end of the day, let's hope that, you know, they they get this, um, you know, COVID issue um, manageable. If you just pop a pill, I'm sure that's everyone's favorite strategy to deal with <laughs> Medicaid illness in the Western world, which is a problem. But, you know, there are definitely some benefits to that. So Paxlovid is definitely more expensive now. So definitely want to avoid getting sick if you can. But if you do get sick, uh, you can take Paxlovid and probably have a reduction in your symptoms, but you're going to pay for it. A lot more than it was just last year. All right. Another study that caught my eye looks at levels of cholesterol and a potential link to dementia. So one thing that we've known is that strokes can sometimes play a role in dementia. And what happens is you can have many strokes, not necessarily the big dramatic strokes that you have where you lose function of your limbs, but you can have actually very tiny micro strokes that is believed over time could affect your mental status and your ability for your brain to function, leading to things like dementia. And so, um, of course, when we, when we deal with strokes and microstrokes, we always worry about cholesterol levels because it's been associated, higher cholesterol levels have been associated with um, potential increases in cardiovascular illnesses like strokes and heart attacks. So a new study has come out showing that high and low levels of HDL cholesterol levels are linked potentially to dementia risk. So HDL or high density lipoprotein the type of cholesterol that is tested for to monitor someone's cholesterol level. Now, historically, it was believed that HDL or these high-density lipoprotein cholesterols are actually um, the, considered the good cholesterol, meaning that you, you, you want decent levels in your bloodstream because they're effective in helping your body function. Now, the low-density lipoprotein cholesterol or the LDL were considered to be the bad cholesterol because they are actually potentially associated with increased risk of heart disease. Now, um, what we're seeing, at least this new study is showing, is that um, high and low levels of high-density lipoprotein, but not levels of low-density lipoprotein, were associated with increased risk of dementia in older adults. So it's kind of interesting how that works. Maybe it's believed that high-density lipoproteins are particularly involved in the brain metabolism, maybe, as opposed to LDL, which may be associated with every other organ as far as cholesterol management. Um, and so, you know, and cholesterol for the record, guys, is a very important uh, molecule in the body. This is the cell structures are made of cholesterol, and cholesterol is a very important building block. It gets a bad rap because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the food we eat is saturated with cholesterol due to the high levels of, of, of meat and fried foods and whatnot. But so we're kind of overindulging in it, but, you know, consumption of it is important actually in a diet. And, um, you know, so that's why the cholesterol levels, they should be at a certain range, especially if you're having a balanced diet with high fiber and other uh, ingredients, vegetables, things like that, especially fiber. Though Fiber is a great uh, component to eat with cholesterol because it helps regulate the body's absorption of cholesterol and uh, helps modulate so you don't have those spikes and 
can reduce your risk of a lot of these things that bad cholesterol levels are associated with. So anyways, back to the study. Um, they looked at, it was a Kaiser Permanente Northern California study, looked at 184,000 people, so it was a very powerful study, and they looked at cholesterol levels within two years um, of, the, of the study. It was, it was, sorry, it was an 8.7-year monitoring period. So they looked at incidence of dementia over an eight-year, almost nine-year period. And what they found was that um, there were about 25,000 incidents of dementia from the 184,000, so a pretty good significant chunk. Um, you know, so doing a quick napkin math, um, it's like, a little, a little about 27 percent. I'm not about sorry, about 12 to 15 percent um, of people in the study were down found to have cholesterol. I mean, found to have dementia. Um, the median age of the participants were 69.5 years old, so almost 70 years old. So, um, you know, so definitely, you know, pretty, you know, interesting because they found people with higher levels of low HDL. No, sorry, dementia risk was higher in people with low HDL. So. Um, so yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, concerning because this risk of dementia is something we're always trying to figure out and obviously want to avoid. So people who have these low levels of HDL and high levels of HDL were both associated with increased risk of dementia, which is a little bit concerning that HDL has such a prominent effect on the brain, whether it's high or low. But I think, um, you know, monitoring HDL has become more important now, given some of these findings. And the good thing is that the LDL, which is the one that usually has been you know, called the bad cholesterol because that's the one associated with heart attack and the like, found no association with dementia. So, so yeah, so I think uh, this is pretty awesome. I think, well, it's not, I'm not saying awesome, it's just interesting information, I should say. So HDL, let's keep an eye on it, guys. If you're getting your cholesterol levels checked, uh, as part of your general blood panels, you know, make sure the docs are checking your HDL and LDL is very important. Those are monitored and there's a lot of treatment you can do for those if they're out of whack. And talk to your primary care physician or clinician and they can definitely walk you through that so all right so um, let's move on another study that I just came across which is kind of honestly one of those studies where you're like well duh <laughs> um, yeah we kind of knew that already but seeing it quantified and presented in official scientific format I think is a good thing you know seeing information that we may think is obvious you know actually studied and truly analyzed is still I think important for the record books let's talk about it so the study in question looks at rising temperatures and they're saying that rising temperatures are linked to higher hospitalization rates for substance abuse so in other words as the temperature outside rises outdoors right or the, that's a double uh, when the temperature outdoor rises there is an increase in increased hospital visits for both alcohol and substance related disorders this is a study that looked over a 20-year period so now, again, as an emergency room physician, um, I say, duh, but maybe I'm not obviously everyone, so I'm a little bit unique. But for those who are not sure and maybe are confused why this is the case, outdoor temperatures, um, people are now outside, or I think some of the youth would say, we outside, quote unquote. So yeah, when people are outside, they tend to get more rambunctious. Now, this study says that increasing temperatures, people are outside, and then combined with substance abuse, so alcohol, drugs, they're snorting stuff, they're inhaling stuff, and then they're going out drinking, and then they're outside. It's almost a perfect rep recipe for, you know, increased injuries um, from car crashes to fights to, you know, violence, things like that. Suicide even. All these things are increased when all these levels are elevated. So it's pretty, pretty shocking. It shows, you know, what's going on outside is not necessarily great for health and wellness. 
So not to say you should be sick and shut in either, but just be careful who you're moving around with, quote unquote, outside, because uh, clearly as the temperature is in in increasing, um, people are getting outside and doing the most. Um, so let's talk about some of the numbers. I always like to talk about the numbers. Um, now, what they found was that found that um, they, you know, looking at all the visits during the ER and the hospital during the summer periods in the New York State um, Hospital, they looked at from 1995 to 2014, so a pretty long, like I said, 20 year period. Um, they looked at over 671,000 different hospital visits. Um, 600,000 of those were related to alcohol related disorders and 721,000, so um, total about almost uh, 1.3 or 1.4 million, um, you know, were related to other drug uses. This, the other 700,000 were related to cannabis, cocaine, opioids, and sedatives. This is from again, 95 to 2014. And what they found was that um, they plotted the visits and looked at the temperature at the time, as well as, you know, the number of visits and this and that. And they found that, you know, the definitely the visits spiked as the temperatures increased outside. Um, males accounted for most of the visits. So, of course, you know, males on substances, you know, are probably the most liable to be injured when those temperatures rise because of the activities they're engaged in. That's just, you know, the unfortunate reality. 25 to 44, um, they ranged from about 46% of all alcohol-related disorders and 61% of cocaine-related visits. So males are out here getting drunk, they're snoring coke, getting buck wild. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty crazy. This is again New York City specifically where this study was look, looking at hospital New York City. Now um, they saw that alcohol-related visits, right? The average temperature was um, was basically um, so as the temperatures rose over a six-day period, there was a subsequent increase in the level of hospital visits almost 30, 25 to 30 percent increase over that same period as the temperature rose. So um, definitely interesting, but we kind of all knew this, those who are in the hospital. But for those who are not in the hospital, definitely the key is when you're outside and the temperatures are rising, there's an increased risk of injury in hospital visits. So just be careful, guys. Uh, we're kind of in the fall period now. So, you know, something that people obviously knew, but at the end of the day, it's good to have it quantified just so we can see what's really going on. And this is, again, an effective study, very large patient population. Uh, visit uh, and analysis numbers and just uh, you know great study this to kind of let people know listen guys when you're outside try to be careful the very important that we need to talk about as well is a news kind of um a new actually recommendation that many believe is coming from the fda the fda of course is the food and drug administration which regulates um, the sale of products in the united states and they're looking at what has been used for many years um, by people who are, um, you know, I guess in the cosmetic industry and just people in general, and that is hair straighteners and relaxers. Now, of course, um, these are popular, of course, amongst the African-American community. People who like to use hair straighteners um, to straighten their hair, um, I guess, for a certain uh, desired look. It's been, you know, well known, actually, that many of these hair straighteners contain very harmful chemicals and carcinogens, meaning they cause cancer, uh, particularly those with formaldehyde. Now, the FDA is looking at the actual hair straightener preparations with formaldehyde specifically to as far as banning them. Uh, but many of them in general have a lot of chemicals in them that are very harmful to the body and are being implicated in some of the more hormonal induced diseases, especially when it comes to uterine cancer, cervical cancer, and, uh, and uterine fibroids, other tumors, things like that. So, um, you know, there's so many products as well from perms, hair relaxers, some of even the lotions and gels 
especially those geared toward black uh, people, have actually been implicated as being filled with a lot of these harmful carcinogens. So it is very concerning because these these chemical-laden uh, concoctions people are slathering on their hair may be actually killing them in the long term and causing many chronic illnesses, including diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and other issues. We also know that during pregnancy, um, it's, it's always already considered a red flag or red um, option to use these chemicals because they're very harmful to the fetus. Um, but now it's showing that the mother is also doing significant harm to herself by using these medications or the father, for instance. So at the end of the day, hair straighteners um, definitely have been used quite heavily. And uh, the FDA now, given this, um, I guess, information and I guess the overall, you know, picture of what's believed these chemicals are causing, um, they're going to potentially ban those, especially those with formaldehyde specifically. So, um, you know, if you're someone who uses these medications or certain medication, you've used these these chemicals, these hair straightening creams, um, at the very least, make sure you're making you're, you're not using any that contain formaldehyde in them. Specifically, that one has been known to be very concerning. Uh, but many of these chemicals also contain chemicals known as phthalates. And uh, phthalates are another um, forever chemical, you know, that can cause endocrine disruption, causing you to have hormonal cancers and issues because they can mimic hormones and they interfere with your body's function. So it's just, you know, stuff that can cause a lot of long-term damage. Um, it's believed that these phthalates are linked to obesity and diabetes. We're seeing an increase in levels of people who use these hair straighteners. And also potentially linked to fibroids as well and uterine cancer, which is very deadly. So avoiding these, you know, relaxers and so forth, I think is obviously the ideal strategy. Um, you know, a lot of new methods now, people looking at straightening their hair, you can employ that don't require use of these chemicals and are far safer. And of course, this is not a beauty podcast, so <laughs> I can't tell you how to do that. But there's people who can definitely put you on that. I think your local um, hairstylist who's more skilled with the natural hair care styles can definitely kind of break that down for you if you're interested in that topic so so yes hair straighteners may be banned especially those with formaldehyde but hopefully you're not waiting for the government to let you know about that um formaldehyde is very dangerous and should not be used in any form on any kind of preparation that's going to apply be applied to your body so definitely stay away from that if you can well this new study that came out shows a potential association with red meat and higher risks of type 2 diabetes. So um, it's always been a so potentially um, believed that meat consumption was somehow linked to diabetes. We also, you know, had a historical belief that high levels of blood sugar consumption, like, you know, sorry, carbohydrate consumption, sorry, was linked to also diabetes. But there's now been increased association with meat, specifically red meat. And this new study that was done out of Harvard looked at the risk of red meat consumption, no, sorry, I looked at the levels of red meat consumption and the increasing potential risk of developing type 2 diabetes later in life. So what they did was, um, this study looked at some data from some hospitalizations, as well as um, those who participated in a nurse's health study, which is a bunch of nurses who were able to submit their health records and their you know, issues to this study where they were able to compile the information for later research. Now, this is, a, um, I think, a great database because there's over 200,000 people was found from this group um, and they looked at their kind of health and wellness from 1976 to 1989 and they looked at you know their red meat consumption this is all self-reported but the, you know they felt it would be relatively honest since they were just reporting it with no other concerns or risk of issues um, so they found that those who ate 
more than two servings a week of red meat had a significantly higher risk of developing diabetes. Um, and this is again people from the age average age from 46 up to 53. Um, so um, so average age of 46, but between the age of 36 to 53. And most of them were white individuals who were in this study. So after they looked at those who were in the study and then looked at those who developed diabetes, again, 216 people, 216,695 people were actually recruited into the study. Out of that 200 or some odd thousand, 22,000 actually people actually developed type 2 diabetes. And they found that of the, out of those who developed diabetes, they had a lot of processed red meat consumption. That was actually the highest linked with diabetic development, was high consumption of processed red meats. Now, what are processed red meats, you ask? Anything that really is beef or not beef, but well, yes, includes beef, but meat that has been processed and usually preserved, wrapped and kind of processed to be a slightly modified from its original form. This includes sausages, um, hot dogs, especially beef or pork. When they just mix them all together, you have hot dog and they just say combination of like four different meats in there. <laughs> That's processing. <laughs> bacon, you know, um, processed meat sandwiches, you know, bacon especially. Um, those are all processed meats. So high levels of processed meat was linked with diabetes development. Now, unprocessed meat, like things like lean meat, you know, extra lean hamburgers, um, just a regular kind of ground beef, you know, those actually had a much lower association. Um, they say that the risk of unprocessed was about 40% higher risk of developing diabetes. And someone who ate, uh, so, sorry, stuttering, someone who ate processed meat had a 51% increased risk of developing diabetes. Someone who ate unprocessed meat had only a 40% risk. So there was a definitely increased risk either with processed or unprocessed consumption. However, processed meat was almost 10% higher. So overall, you know, processed meat, heavy processed meat consumption is a higher risk of diabetes developing over time by eating that. So you want to be careful, guys, with processed meat, like these, you know, bacons and uh, sausages. While delicious, you know, you definitely want to moderate your consumption of these meats. Um, lean, you know, unprocessed meat is going to be the best option if you want to eat meat. And I definitely am a fan of eating meat. So, but again, lean options, you know, you, know, you want to keep it grass-fed, low antibiotic levels, you know, low hormone levels. Um, you know, that's ideal. Uh, but of course, not everyone can get those kind of uh, options. But you want to opt for, you know, as natural as possible just to kind of reduce the risk of those long-term illnesses like diabetes, which we don't, we all know is not fun. So, um, yeah. Um, and of course, make sure you're adding fiber, veggies, and all that to your diet as well. Those also have a very strong benefits vitamins and other minerals that are helpful in health and wellness. So lean meats, guys, you know, it's the way you want to go if you're eating meat and uh, avoid processed meats as much as you can. Another study that came out, which is also um, very concerning because it also involves chemicals and their potential effect on us long term, but this one looks more at children. It found that common contaminants um, that are found in, uh, you know, really a lot of food and, and liquids that are being ingested um, have been potentially linked to accelerated weight gain in children. Now, they say children specifically exposed to higher levels of pesticides, fungicides, and synthetic chemicals like forever chemicals, as PFAS, the phthalates we talked about just earlier. They've been linked to higher body mass index 
um, in childhood than those who are not exposed to those chemicals. So these chemicals, we've already talked about how they are causing cancer and causing other issues, hormone imbalances. Now there's some link to potential obesity directly. Um, um, and it's, it's shown that, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, you go to some of these middle schools and elementary schools, you see these grown looking five, fifth graders with beards and everything else. You're like, what's going on? Like, I know when I was a kid, and maybe I'm just kind of <laughs> thinking because of when I was little, I don't recall people having full grown beards and, you know, you have, you know, five year old females with full figures and everything like, you know, let me not say five years, fifth years. So let's say eight, ninth and 10th grade, no, eight, nine and 10 year olds. And it's just pretty amazing how, you know, kids are growing a lot faster, maturing a lot quicker. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit kind of, you know, there's some belief that there's some potential hormone exposure in the food and the drinks. And now there's some belief that maybe these chemicals are also playing a role in these hormone imbalances and also these potential obesity epidemic rates we're seeing, especially in the youth. So um, now this study looked at kids who were exposed in the womb. So again, the mom is heavily exposing herself to these chemicals, which is then passing on to the, to the infant in the womb. And then they're looking at the, these kids develop and grow, and they're seeing that um, there's a high rate of obesity in the, these children. Now, this study particularly looked at 23 common contaminants um, of these persistent chemicals. Uh, they looked at about um, 2,000 moms who took part in the study. This is in Spain. So they looked at you know the chemicals in the bloodstream of the, of the, of the women who were giving birth at that time. And they looked at the development of the kids after they were born, um, from six months, one-year-old, two-year-old, four-year-old, and nine years old. So very small study, but they did a lot of information collection, and they really looked at a lot of kind of um, development. And um, it's crazy how they found that people who had these, who had, you know, high levels of all these chemicals like fungicides, they, some of the chemicals they called out include um, hexachlorobenzene. Um, it was banned in the, in the 84, you know, back in the United States in 84. But there's a lot of, you know, slight alterations that are not banned. You know, this is how you know, these chemists are very smart. They'll see there will be a banned substance. So they'll just slightly modify the molecule to make it legal, quote unquote, and then they'll put it out in the public again. This is a very common strategy. And these slightly modified, you know, chemicals are essentially the same harmful chemical. They just kind of duck through the different legal kind of tests. And they're able to put it on the people again. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate part of capitalism. People are trying to make a quick buck. buck. And um, hexachlorobenzene is a powerful fungicide. So it kills fungus infections. So if you maybe have a farm, back in the day, they would have sprayed willy-nilly all over the veggies. So they would look pretty, but they were covered this poison. <laughs> and people would get rid of dying from it. So now that we know that this stuff is dangerous, and there's been some attempts to ban it, but still the, the people who are trying to make money are going to try to re-release it because it's still you know, effective for what they want to use it for. Either way, um, these things have been accumulating in the public because of these kind of, you know, these shifty, um, you know, people try to um, make money. And as a result, um, you see it in the population, including the mothers and the children. Um, so there's so many chemicals in, in the um, atmosphere. DDT is another one. Um, that's another kind of persistent chemical because it sticks around once it gets into the body. Um, they've been associated with also with a lot of these hormonal cancers. Um, PFAS or perfluoroalkyl substances. These are <laughs> like a tongue twister, guys. So unfortunately, you know, these things are uh, everywhere and they're kind of a byproduct of development, quote unquote. And uh, as a result, you know, we're trying to identify these things and trying to make sure people avoid them. Plastics are a big source of these things, by the way, guys. If you're someone who's, you know, likes to use plastic a lot, you want to make sure you're not heating up your food in there. 
you want to store something that's fine but if you're heating up food definitely don't want to use plastic ceramic glass you're gonna be better options um because believe that keeping things in plastic which contains all these chemicals eventually leaches from plastic to the food and it can increase the levels of consumption so you want to be careful guys uh, with these forever chemicals because they definitely can avoid or cause a lot of issues and also another way to avoid these chemicals is to not eat fish that were high in mercury um, and PCBs like sharks and swordfish. You know, try to keep it simple with the with the seafood. Um, you know, fish that aren't eating other fish are ideal. Um, so you want to eat, you know, fish that's relatively um, healthy and low mercury levels. So you need good growers. Organic foods are going to be best for that. And you want to get low pesticides or no pesticides. You know, you want to wash your vegetables and fruits very heavily. Sometimes people recommend using vinegar um, to. Red finger to kind of wash vegetables to make sure you neutralize all the potential um, pesticides that may be on there. And just kind of be careful, guys. Um, avoid plastic, I think, is the biggest one. If you take nothing else from this podcast, try to minimize plastic exposure. Use it just for storage of stuff, not stuff you would consume. Glass and things like that or ceramic are better for things you're going to consume. Stainless steel, cook with that. Of course, I hope you're not using plastic to cook. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, plastic is useful, but for cooking and things where you could be exposed, things you want to ingest, maybe not the best option. We wind down the show. Let's talk about a couple stories that look at, you know, increasing harmful drugs on the streets, guys. Um, so I'm sure you guys know about the Finland epidemic. It's been taking lives left and right. Some of the biggest cause of death in America specifically is fentanyl. But now these, these, these crazy chemists that are on the streets making these drugs and putting it out there to get to the hands of unwitting um, users are now putting xylazine, which is actually an animal tranquilizer, into these drugs. So I guess to increase the potency of the effect. Um, it's also known as trank on the streets. Um, xylazine is something that's now being found inside these you know, pills that are being sold. They're being you know, pushed as fentanyl or Zannies or, or other kind of sedatives. And they're now mixing with xylazine, which is really actually very dangerous because xylazine is extremely uh, strong uh, medication. It's designed to put down bears and, and large animals. But if they're put, mixing with opioids by some untrained um, chemist, you're definitely at risk of potentially you know, killing someone who, who would ingest these pills if you mix it inappropriately, which is very easy when you're messing with dangerous chemicals. So, um, Trank, which is uh, also the street version, street name of it, um, is a medication that, you know, when it's mixed with fentanyl, can be extremely deadly. And I'm sure you guys have seen the videos of people taking fentanyl and nodding off and passing out and not being functional. Well, definitely using xylazine uh, with fentanyl can be extremely deadly and, you know, could definitely lead to um, extremely shortened lifespan if you're using that regularly. There was one, um, I guess, one group out of Philadelphia. They went to the street and tested um, a bunch of samples they bought off street dealers, and they tested to see, you know, what was actually in there. They didn't just take the person's word for it; they took it to the lab. They found that 90% of the samples that they obtained, this is in a Philly, um, you know, study, found xylazine in the actual substance, and it was actually pushed as an opioid, like they pushed it as a as a, a narcotic, like Norco or something. And they found that it actually had xylazine in it and not just not opioids, which is what the buyer may think he's getting. So but more of the story is, guys, buying drugs on the street is really like you're playing Russian roulette with your life. 
Um, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of people who make these drugs illicitly are mixing it in their backyards with all kinds of weird chemicals they've ordered or they've gotten from other shady manufacturers. And it's very dangerous stuff, guys. So, you know, xylazine is not really something you want to be exposed to. Treating it is very difficult. You know, and it's something from a physician standpoint, you know, you don't want to see a patient on xylazine who's overdosed because the way they manage is very different from others. And uh, it could potentially be, you know, a reason why people may have increased risk of dying if they're on this stuff because many people aren't really familiar with it. That being said, you know, just don't do drugs, guys. You know, <laughs> try to find safe um, things you can ingest that can make you feel better if you really are feeling stressed. But, you know, these street drugs are very dangerous and can lead to a short lifespan. All right, guys. So thanks for guys listening to the show. Um, I just want to say also to one thing we haven't really talked about a lot on this show is this, you know, this war guy, this Hamas versus Israel um, conflict. Um, you know, obviously I'm a, uh, not a fan of war because war is really much anti-life. It's pretty much the most, the exact opposite of health and wellness. <laughs> this is war and killing. So we're trying to, you know, you know, stop the killing guys. Uh, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, people are using it as a way to push politics. But I think, uh, you know, making sure we, um, you know, do whatever it takes to help promote the ending of the conflict is going to be the best strategy. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Um, you know, and otherwise, you know, thanks for guys for taking us out. We have more content coming. Um, just keep us subscribed. We'll get it dropped to your, your uh, device as soon as it's released. And we want to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you learned something today. This is, I think, very good content from this particular episode. A lot of good info out here. And uh, if you have any questions or have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. Please reach out to us on our email, drberryhealth at gmail.com. We're on TikTok, drberryhealth. Instagram, drberrymd. And again, I am, of course, your host, Dr. Barry. Thanks for listening. I'm out. You are listening to the Health and Wellness Connection Podcast, the number one wellness podcast designed to provide the latest information to help you achieve your health and wellness goals. Our show features exciting guests, the latest in medical research, and in-depth discussions in current trends on weight loss, nutrition, and fitness. No matter what your interest, the Health and Wellness Podcast has you covered. And now, presenting your illustrious host, Dr. Barry, MD.